With great power comes great responsibility, and with a classic hero comes a great deal of comics to talk about. Welcome to Comic Book Keepers. Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. I'm Lance. And today, we're talking about Spider-Man. One of your favorites, I believe. Yes, one of my absolute favorites. Absolutely. And and I have to say, it's one of my favorites, too. So, who is Spider-Man? Spider-Man is Peter Parker, a high school teenager bit by a radioactive spider, which gave him spider-related powers like clinging to walls, detecting danger with his spider sense, and enhanced strength amongst many other powers. He even made wrist-mounted web shooters that he could shoot out webbing to swing from building to building. To find out a little bit more about Spider-Man's origins, let's go into the archives! Now, in our weekly episodes, we're going to be doing this into the archive segment, where we'll be looking at really the creation of these characters and how they came to be. And we can't do that without first talking about a man named Stanley Martin Lieber, or what we know him, or the majority of people know him as Stan Lee. Stan Lee, true believers. That's my Stan Lee impression. I think that's spot on. Stan actually got his first job in comic books when he was 16 years old with Timely Comics back in 1939. And as he's a young teenager, he walks into work and he is joined by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, two absolute legends in the comic book industry. But for him at that time, he's really just the errand boy and he's getting the things that Jack and Joe needed him to do. And eventually he was able to work up to writing some two-page spreads. But then as time went on, Stan was given a little bit more responsibility. And he started writing some stories for Captain America. And as time passed, Timely Comics then transitioned to Atlas Comics in 1951, and then officially becoming Marvel Comics in 1961. Now, at this time, Stan was really trying to work on a new character. He had already created the Fantastic Four, and was really trying to shop a new, um, exciting character for the masses to read. And one day, he looked over on the side of his wall, and there was a fly sticking. And he thought, wouldn't that be a great idea if there was a character that could literally stick to walls and climb? So he shopped some names. Fly Man. Nope. Insect Man. Not great. Mosquito Man. Moving on. Nope. And eventually... Yeah, yeah, not so great. And he eventually got to Spider-Man. And he really enjoyed this name because spiders are kind of scary and they could be a little bit intimidating. And so he stuck with the idea and he had all he had this development of a character where it was going to be a teenager. But at the time, teenagers were only sidekicks in comic books. And he want not only did he want to make Spider-Man a teenager, he wanted to make him not that great looking. He wanted to make him not good with the ladies. He wanted him to 
have no parents be an orphan living with his aunt and them not having a lot of money. So all of these problems, all these issues that he would have to work around while still being a hero, really trying to make a character more relatable to the readers. And he took it to his publisher and the publisher said it was the worst thing he had ever heard. But luckily in comic books, there are some runs that don't do so well. Turns out that at at Marvel at that time, there was a run called Amazing Fantasy. And issue 15 was going to be its final run because it was getting canceled. And Stan decided, well, if it's going to get canceled anyway, no one's really going to stop me from doing what I want to do with this book. So he decides he's going to have Spider-Man appear in Amazing Fantasy 15. Now, fun note, when Spider-Man was being developed, he ended up taking Spider-Man to Jack Kirby first. And they were working on the first two pages. But Stan didn't feel like Jack understood the look that he was really going for. Because, obviously, Jack Kirby's art is some of the most iconic art out there. When you think comic book artist, Jack has to be at the top of nearly everyone's list. Absolutely. And Stan just thought that Peter and Spider-Man were still just looking too glamorous for the feel that he wanted from this character. Yeah, Jack Kirby drew so a he, lot of characters very stocky and square and, and big, so I, I could imagine that his version of Spider-Man would not necessarily be the skinny nerd that we know about. No, so I'm sure it looked absolutely incredible, and we actually do have an idea of how he wanted to draw it because the cover art for Amazing Fantasy 15 is actually pencils done by Jack Kirby. If you know comics, you know that iconic cover of Spider-Man swinging with a man hanging underneath his arm. Now, Steve Ditko inked that cover and then did all the interior art as well. After the comic was complete, it was released on August 10th, 1962. At that point, it was, well, I got to do my character. It's out there in the world and it's done. Or is it? Because stats came back, numbers came back in. And Amazing Fantasy 15 had been one of their best sellers at that time. And you know what that means. Publisher goes from deciding this is a horrible idea to, Stan, this is a fantastic idea. I can't (laughs) believe we came up with this. Let's keep going. With the success of Amazing Fantasy 15, Spider-Man was given his own solo series with the Amazing Spider-Man number one being released on March 10th, 1963. And the rest is history. And there's a lot to unpack with Spider-Man in terms of his supporting cast. So let's go a little bit more into about the character of Spider-Man. Now, a lot of this is going to be familiar for most of you, but there might be a few people that don't know a couple of things about Spider-Man. And we're going to be going through that stuff for everybody's sake. So first of all, Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man comic takes place in New York City, but Peter himself is from Queens. So a lot of the neighborhood stuff takes place around Queens itself, but a lot of the Spider-Man adventures and the action sequences are all around Manhattan. Over the years, um, as far as jobs, Peter has had a few occupations, including high school student, college student, high school teacher, freelance photographer for the Daily Bugle, and even for a brief period of time, he was a member of the Avengers. Besides the Avengers, other groups he's been affiliated with are the Fantastic Four, Future Foundation, the Defenders, the Daily Bugle, uh, the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. He was actually a um, 
instructor at uh, the X-Men school. Uh, he's been a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he was also a member of the Spider Army. His supporting characters are what makes Spider-Man one of the most relatable comics out there. We have his Aunt May, who you mentioned, and Uncle Ben, who raised him uh, being an orphan. His romantic interest and bastions of common sense, Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane Watson. His terrible boss, J. Jonah Jameson, who hasn't had a boss like that? His popular bully, who later becomes his friend, Flash Thompson. And his best friend, who later becomes his enemy and son of a nemesis, Harry Osborn, just to name a few. And speaking of villains, Spider-Man has one of the best rogues gallery. Green Goblin, Venom, Carnage, Sandman, Mysterio, Electro, Kingpin, and then all the animal ones. You've got Dr. Octopus, Rhino, Scorpion, Vulture, Black Cat, and many, many more. So we're going to spend some time getting into villain characters and supporting characters, possibly, in future issues. But for now, for this issue, we're really just talking about Peter Parker. We're not going to get into Miles Morales or Spider-Gwen or um, Miguel, uh, what's the 2099? O'Hara. <laughs> yeah. Miguel O'Hara. Miguel O'Hara. Um, we're going to save those for other future issues because they deserve it. So this is all going to be about Peter Parker. What? 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 Our next segment here is called What If. So with each within each issue, we're going to do what nerds do best. We're going to expound on a premise regarding that week's subject matter and share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. This week, we were talking and we decided that we wanted to pitch our own Spider-Verse, alternative Spider-Verse version of Peter Parker. So what did you come up with? I thought it would be cool to have a version of Peter Parker where he was bit at a younger age, like age six or seven you know just just starting to figure things out in the world before girls were even an issue and you know he was with uh aunt may and uncle ben and they're they were still around and maybe uncle ben was still around as well so you have this little kid um who has to deal with different things and i you know it might be a little bit funnier but like spider-man is so iconic and my son who's six is super into spider-man and, you know, he fancies himself Spider-Man at times swinging around the playground. So it works for teenagers. Why wouldn't it work for like a little kid who's suddenly able to swing and fly and, and you know, stick to walls? I mean, six-year-olds are all about climbing on things and to suddenly have the ability to enhance those powers, I, I think, would be really fun to explore. And it's probably it would be more of like a kid's comic, you know, a little bit more of a kid-friendly comic. But um and not explore so many dark themes all, all of a sudden. But I think it'd be fun to, to have that version where it'd be a little kid version of Peter Parker. How do you think Peter would be different as far as being Spider-Man if he will, if uncle Ben was still around to guide him? I think uh, in terms of that age, there would be a lot of heart to hearts with both aunt May and uncle Ben a lot of things that Peter would still be figuring out at that age, like, you know, probably not about girls so much, but just about what's right and wrong and what he would be able to do. He might even, you know, tell Uncle Ben, like, I, I see, like, if that was the storyline where this little kid, you know, age seven got bit by a radioactive spider and he wasn't a scientist to make the webbing. You know, he wouldn't really be swinging around the neighborhood, but he would be like sticking to walls and he had super strength. And kind of like Superman's orphan parents, the Kents, you know, they would have to kind of guide him and, and give him uh, guidance about 
what to do in the world and how to use this power and things like that. So I, I think it would be, you'd have a lot more heart to heart conversations about now, Peter, you gotta rein this in, or you gotta make sure that you only use your powers when it's absolutely necessary. And I think it'd be like a, a, a different kind of story for sure, but maybe eventually he would grow up into somebody that is, is like the Peter Parker we, that, that we know about today. Yeah. I don't, I don't think a seven-year-old would be very good at hiding superpowers from an aunt. And Absolutely uncle. not. And that that's where the hijinks would ensue. <laughs> and and the truth is, is if you were a seven-year-old and you had the powers of Spider-Man, would you hide that? It'd be hard. It'd be super hard. Would you have the foresight to hide it? Or would you just think, oh my gosh, look at what I can do. I think it would be definitely difficult for it, for that young of an age to hide superpowers. I mean, you can hardly be excited about your birthday at that age. So, or to not be excited about your birthday at that age or something that's coming up, like we're going to Disneyland tomorrow and I'm super excited. So if you have superpowers, you're going to want to show them off. You're going to want to brag about them. And I don't know if, if uh, I, I don't know if his aunt and uncle would, would support him hiding it or if they would be like, well, you got to, do something different or maybe they would look up a school that would help and they would take them to um you know the Xavier Institute <laughs> like Peter they, Parker gets raised by professor yeah X. yeah i mean that they they'd probably seek out professional help cuz aunt may never knew knew about it and uncle ben never got to find out so maybe that's you know they look up some sort of professional help they either take him to you know, Reed Richards, or they take him to somebody that's like super smart and he, he gets some, some sort of mentorship because the whole thing with Spider-Man is he never really had a mentor. He, he learns about it trial and error. He learns about his powers through failure and um, repetition. And it'd be interesting to see the opposite side of that, where there is some sort of a mentor, kind of like what the MCU did with, with Iron Man. Absolutely. How about you? What's your um, alternate version of, of Peter Parker? When we were first thinking of this idea, I wasn't really able to have anything come to my mind. And then I actually realized that I had written out a fully flushed out, or maybe not fully flushed out, but pretty well thought out Spider-Man story. And so these are the ranting and ravings of my own mind when it comes to Spider-Man. Okay. Now with this this version of Peter Parker, he it starts with him actually waking up from a coma. He wakes up in a hospital bed surrounded by Aunt May, Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, and his doctor, who happens to have a stutter. So when he's trying to say his name, he says Doc Ock and then his name. And that's the first hint that that something's kind of off, like what's really going on. You find out that he was shot the night of a wrestling match that he and Uncle Ben had attended. So while they were leaving the event, a robber had come through and had confronted Peter and his uncle and then had been shot and falls into this deep sleep, this coma. And he realizes that all of these memories he has of being Spider-Man are actually just these fever dreams that he was having while he was in, we'll say a deep sleep, just because with coma patients, they don't really believe that they have dreams during it. So we're saying he just goes into a deep sleep. 
And with all these characters, he's piecing together. So Doc Ock was really just his doctor that has a stutter and he's saying Doc Ock before he's saying his actual name. You have all of these, the lizard, Craven, the hunter, the green goblin. They're all wrestlers that are on posters at this wrestling event. You have Gwen, which I'm changing kind of the timeline for this just because Peter doesn't meet Gwen until college in the original storyline, but I'm saying that he knew her in high school. It's an alt version. I can change whatever I want. So Gwen's there. So he actually still has these memories of loving Gwen Stacy and then losing that love, but she's still right there with, with him and uncle Ben is still there. And so there's this great joy that he's feeling, but at the same time he's torn because he also loved being Spider-Man and helping people out in the community. So he decides that he doesn't want to stop being Spider-Man. And he starts to develop those gadgets that he had created before. But the great thing is, is that Peter is a brilliant scientist that didn't change. And so all of these chemical and mathematical equations and experiments that he was performing while he was in this deep sleep are actually mathematically and chemically sound. And with that ability, he's able to create these inventions rather quickly. But knowing the science behind it, he knows he needs to build up his body as well in order to withstand swinging from building to building. Do you have any idea the kind of strength you need to help propel yourself on webbing or synthetic webbing? Yeah, well, that's why he's a superhero. (laughs) Exactly. And so he realizes he does need to build up his body And he also needs to learn how to fight. So there's a little bit of muscle memory there, but he's also atrophied. He sounds like there's a a good opportunity for a montage. Yes, training montage. And I'm talking, he finds other heroes. He's going to train with Shang-Chi. He's going to train with Iron Fist. And it's just going to be this montage of him learning how to fight, learning certain techniques, fight moves, able to still stun enemies without going over the line same code he had before it's going to build up to the point where he has all these gadgets he has semi-finalized suit ready and he's going to be standing on the edge of a balcony or the edge of a building in new york city that looking over the skyline and he's going to be leaning over the edge and then you just see him turn around and start walking away it's it's crazy. He should not be doing this. He's not a he does not have superpowers. He shouldn't be trying to jump in the middle of of all this craziness going on in the city. But there's still that push that he's feeling to be a hero. All those memories are still there. They're real to him. And at that moment, he stops, raises his head, says, "I am Spider-Man." And turns around and jumps off of the building. And the comic ends with him just shooting out a web and that's it. Hmm. So it's kind of like a, I mean, it's definitely an alternate universe pitch of, of having it, 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 What if Spider-Man it, it didn't actually happen or all, ha- all happened in his head. And then he's sort of building it up yes. to actually make it happen. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really a mix of a few different comic lines. Like you get that kick-ass feel. It's, character that doesn't have superpowers that just wants to be a hero even though he knows he's going to get beat up a lot a little bit of wizard of oz feel like and you were there and you were there and you were there (laughs) a little bit of uh walking dead as well where you know he wakes up in a hospital room except there's people around him 
So there's some and there's some zombies. good uh, comic references there too. That's awesome. Well, on that note, and that's a lot to think about in my headspace. So <laughs> I think it's time for us to take a break. <laughs> Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. And I'm JVD. We're your hosts of the Fictional Battle Podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on thevillainsdemand.com. You know, Lance, we want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. And if you're tuning in and listening to this episode or the Ninja Turtles episode, we just want to say we love you and thanks for listening. And if you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a rating and review on your podcast service, whether it's Apple Podcast or Stitcher or any of the podcast services that are out there. Just leaving a quick review will definitely help. Uh, If you you also want to support us. Um, you can do it through tweeting about the show using the hashtag CBKCast. And you can tweet at us at CBKCast on Twitter if you have any questions or let us know what characters that we should talk about next on the show upcoming. Is there anything you want to say to the listeners? Be nice in the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> like Chris said, if you have an interest in comics too, go ahead and send us out a tweet or try and get a hold of us that any way you'd like. And we'd be happy to talk with you as well. Awesome. Well, let's get back to the show. Now let's get into the pull list for Spider-Man. Now these are just going to be those stories that if you're new into reading Spider-Man or if you're a fan of it and you haven't heard these before, these are going to be those comics that we feel like you should be jumping into and reading. Chris, do you have a few picks if you're yours at first? Yeah, I think one of my favorite ones is definitely the Spider-Man No More. Uh, This is one of the classic storylines, and it's a single issue, actually. It's uh, Amazing Spider-Man 50. Um, You can probably remember seeing the cover of this comic where it's it's a classic uh, image of Peter Parker walking away and then the Spider-Man costume is draped over a trash can and the issue is all about him being overwhelmed with the pressure of being spider-man he's not able to hang out with his friends he's not there to take care of his aunt may who is uh, very sick and um, uh, mary jane's mom i think is the one who's like oh you weren't there for him and and he's not able to pay the bills and there's all these like pressures of being a superhero and also trying to be you know, a college student. So he decides, Hey, I'm going to make a commitment to myself and walk away from, from this life. And, uh, I think it's a great single issue by the end. Of course, he realizes it is the right thing to do. He, he's been given this power and he's been given this responsibility, if you will, to be this hero. And, uh, he, he ends up saving somebody that needs to be saved who kind of reminds him of uncle Ben. And he gets back into the the hero life by the end of the issue. But I think it's a great encapsulation of what Spider-Man's all about. So I definitely recommend if you've never read Spider-Man or if you just never read that issue, amazing Spider-Man number 50. My first recommendation is going to be Marvel masterworks volume one for Spider-Man with this run. You're going to get his first appearance in amazing fantasy 15. So really seeing how he was first meant to be read and seen as well as the first next 
10 issues of the Amazing Spider-Man storyline. With these issues, you really get to see a different take on the conventional Peter that is really represented in a lot of comics nowadays. He's really cynical in the beginning. Yeah, uh, we need to talk about that first issue because I didn't know when I read this that some of the first issue, he's like, I can make money doing this. And he goes on, he makes his costume and he goes on uh, like a talk show. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, like a late night talk show. And, and, he, and they're like, and Spider-Man becomes a national sensation. It, that's what it says in the comics. It's like all these people know yeah. about him. Tons of newspaper covers. Yeah. It's, it's, I was like, what? I thought he just goes and goes to a wrestling match and makes money and, and, and outside of the wrestling match, like in the movie, but it's this whole other thing. He becomes a national sensation. It's really interesting. And he's kind of a jerk. You're right. Like he's very, uh, he's very cocky about it. Yeah, you would think that in a first appearance, you would want to make your character really likable, but he's not very likable in the first issue. And I think that's the charm, really, of Stanley's writing is because even if even though it's a single issue, you really get to see an arc with Spider-Man. He's after he gets these powers, and he's making money when he lets that robber get away. That eventually leads to the death of Uncle Ben. Spoilers. If you haven't seen the 19 films about the same exact origin over and over. But he tells other people that he's out for himself, looking after his aunt and uncle. And these are what he says. He says the rest can hang. Hmm. So it's there, it's a dark. Take well, there's on some Peter. there's some 60s slang. There's a lot of 60s slang yes. in those first, you know, the, the first like hundred issues. I mean, Mary Jane alone, when, when she's introduced later on, uh, her vernacular is just this, it's almost like a, a master course in talking like late sixties teenagers. I'm like, I was like, what is she saying? But I have to remind myself that this is how people talked. And, and more specifically, this is how Stan Lee was like, I'm going to get hip with these kids and I'm going to write the way that I think that they talk. And this is how they talk. And he was a hip guy. And I mean, it clearly worked because it became somebody, it became a book that people really like picked up on, but yeah, the, the, it, he just got right to the point. Like he was, you know, he's, he's there. Uncle Ben gets shot. He feels bad. He becomes Spider-Man. <laughs> like it's, it's boom, boom, boom. Yeah. It's a very fluid storyline. It's here's point A, point B, point C. Here's your character. Yeah, those early comics didn't really wait, waste much time. So they they really got to the point when Dr. Octopus was introduced. He uh, he's just there. It's a, there is. I'm Dr. Octopus. <laughs> yeah, they don't even mention his name as Otto Octavius in that in the third issue. So that's a great one. Definitely, definitely read the first uh, Masterworks. Another one I think that's a good pull is Spider-Man Blue by Jeff Loeb and yes. uh, Tim Sale, um, who so he, also they are very famous for doing Batman The Long Halloween, which is a great Batman run. We'll get into that when we talk about Batman. But uh, Spider-Man Blue is one of their four color series. They did a, a few different ones for Daredevil, Hulk, and Captain America. So their Spider-Man run is a really cool sort of retelling from almost the point of view, but not quite, but it really centers on Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy. And the whole six issue story talks about Peter uh, on Valentine's day, revisiting where Gwen Stacy died. And he's sort of telling the story about how 
Gwen made him who he is, but then because she died, he had a really tough time with it. And it was Mary Jane that kind of brought him out of his depression over the years. And through the, the two of them kind of made him who he is, which, which is really interesting. Like it's, it's, but it tells it, it, it goes through even some of the same beats and moments and even panels uh, of that storyline when Gwen was still alive and like Gwen and Mary Jane knew each other and they were friends. And I didn't even realize that. Like, I didn't realize that I thought it was Gwen and then Mary Jane wasn't even around. And then Mary Jane was introduced later. And it was really interesting to see like, wait, they were around at the same time. Like, yeah. And there was Mm -hmm. even, you know, issues where they were hanging out with Peter at the same time. And you have flash Thompson and Harry Osborne. They were like, how come the both girls are hanging out with Peter, Peter Parker. (laughs) yeah. It was awesome. I absolutely love Spider-Man Blue. It it really is that it's how Spider-Man fell in love with Gwen Stacy. And I am 110% on the Gwen Stacy team uh, between her and MJ. And I'll actually get into that with a couple of my polls that I have. Okay. But with still with Spider-Man Blue, you really get to see the effect that Gwen had on Peter in his life to the point where the the whole story is Peter's telling is retelling these stories into a recorder as if he were speaking to Gwen. And there's a really beautiful moment at the end where MJ overhears it. And I'm not going to give away what she says because you absolutely need to read it, but it's really heartwarming and just a really beautiful story altogether. Yeah. So that that's pretty awesome. So my next pick perfectly flows into yours because if you love Spider-Man, you need to read The Death of Gwen Stacy. So that this is going to be covered in Amazing Spider-Man issues 121 through 122. These were written by Jerry Conway, artist Gil Kane, and of course the legendary John Romita Sr. Now these two issues, or especially issue 122, a lot of members of the comic book community viewed this issue as the end of the silver age of comics. And within this issue, you get to see the green goblin and how he, he knows Peter, he knows Spider-Man's true identity as Peter Parker and he uses it to his advantage. And he takes Gwen and he throws her off of the bridge and Spider-Man tries to save her and he's unable to do so. Mm. So not only does she die, but Peter has to come to terms with the fact that he wasn't able to save the woman he loved most. And 122 is really about his revenge against Green Goblin and what leads eventually to Green Goblin's death. More spoilers. <laughs> but those those two issues really encapsulate how Peter feels about Gwen and the aftermath because he is mad, he's angry, he's out for blood when it comes to green goblin yeah so the storyline is just incredible yeah that's a good i i hadn't actually read those issues like back to back as well and so it was really interesting to go through that and even just hearing what spider-man was saying and his kind of vernacular was was really interesting it's still kind of dated but that that issue came out in june july of 1973 and you know spider-man came out in what 62 63 so yes so this is like 10 years into spider-man you know that he's got a following he's one of the most popular characters out there 
And then, you know, Gwen has been around for several years now uh, in terms of his, you know, his romantic interest and girlfriend and then the Green Goblin. And then, boom, this happens. And this is just heartbreaking. So so it's yeah, it's a huge uh, it's a huge moment for sure. What do you got next? You can't be a Spider-Man fan without reading the Sinister Six storyline. So yeah, there is so good. there are several appearances of the Sinister Six, but the original Sinister Six consisted of Dr. Octopus, Electro, Craven the Hunter, Mysterio, Sandman, and the Vulture. And they appeared in the Amazing Spider-Man annual number one, which came out in 1964. So this is really cool because I don't know if anything had, like this had ever been done before where you had like all of these villains teaming up uh, a Dr. Octopus got them all together and said, Hey, if we all attack them together at the same time, we can take this guy out and they do it. And Spider-Man is able to knock them out, you know, kind of take them out as a group. And it, and it really establishes Spider-Man as a hero to, to be contended with. Like he, he is a heavy hitter, not just able to take out one of these guys, but he takes out all six of them. So over the years, there have been the revenge of the sinister six and the return of the sinister six. And then green goblin at one point did the sinister 12. And so there's, there's definitely been a lot of versions. Uh, It's a fun trope to play with in Spider-Man mythology, but the original sinister six is definitely fun. And I have a feeling, and we'll get into this when we talk about adaptations, we're going to be seeing a live action version of the sinister six at some point very soon in our future. And I think a point that you bring up is how, how big of a contender Spider-Man really is being able to go up against the entire Sinister Six. I mean, most of us, we think about how intelligent he is and his fun little abilities that he has. But at one point, Stanley even came out and said that Spider-Man was the third strongest character at one point within Marvel comics. So you think of that, the amount of strength he had, he's, he's no slouch when it comes to strength. Oh yeah. Speaking of strength, I my next choice is Amazing Spider-Man issues 31 through 33, which is the If This Be My Destiny storyline, which is about Peter had previously donated blood to Aunt May, and now Aunt May is sick from the radiation from Peter's blood. Now he finds out that through working with Dr. Connors that there's this isotope called ISO 36 that will be helpful in creating a serum to potentially save Aunt May's life because she is fading fast. Throughout these issues, you find out that there's this master planner who is revealed to be Doc Ock, and he is trying to perform his experiments, and it's all about radiation, and so he is also going after ISO 36, and this leads to a confrontation. They have a fight, which is really exciting and fun, and beautifully illustrated by Steve Ditko. And it ends or it culminates with their fight and tons and tons of machinery fall on Spider-Man while the ISO 36 is just outside of his reach. And during all this time, the last few days, Peter hasn't been sleeping. He has been exhausted. He's really weak. He just fought Doc Ock. He's fighting all those minions that Doc Ock has. And he is the water is pouring in because they're in an underwater facility and his life looks like it's about to end and the motivation of his love for aunt may really pushes him and he's able to lift this 
insane amount of weight and machinery off of him. And he's able to get the isotope, get it to Dr. Connors, get the serum, and he saves Aunt May. And we saw a form of adaptation of this storyline within Spider-Man Homecoming when after Peter's fought the vulture and all that stuff falls on him and he lifts himself up. That's what this, that's this comic is where that moment came from. Yeah. That was awesome. I, I recognized that in the movie and I was like, yes, they did it. It's, it was a great, great thing to see as a Spider-Man fan for sure. Yeah. Stan Lee actually spoke about how, when he saw the drawings for this moment from Steve Ditko, he actually jumped up and screamed. He was that excited with Steve's interpretation of his words. Nice. I got one more, which is a little bit more recent and it, it has to do, do with something that Spider-Man is very adamant about, which is he wants to keep his identity a secret. And it's when that changes with civil war. So in the Civil War comics, um, Civil War is all about, you know, should people with superpowers be registered and come out? And you have, you know, Team Iron Man that says, yes, that should happen. And then you have Team Captain America, which says, no, this is a civil liberty and this is a freedom and you shouldn't have to do that. And we saw that in (laughs) sort of a version of that with the Sokovia Accords in the MCU, but it was based kind of you know loosely on this civil war comics and even though it's not so much a spider-man story spider-man was definitely part of that he's a major part of that story he's a he's a major part of the storyline and and definitely in in the comics it it really kicks things off and it makes a huge impact because i think it's like issue two of the civil war comics uh he has a press conference and he takes off his mask and he says i'm peter parker and he basically (laughs) reveals himself to the world and I think at that point, like Mary Jane and Aunt May, like move into Avengers Tower to for their own protection. He's basically becoming an Avenger and he gets the Iron Spider costume. And so there's a lot of huge things that happen like for for, you know, 30, 40 years at that point uh, in comics mythology. Like he has been had the secret identity to the world. And then in Civil War, uh, that all changes and it changes his entire world and now everybody knows who he is and all of the villains know who he is and J. Jonah Jameson knows who he is and and so it's it's really interesting. It kind of changes the status quo for Spider-Man. Even though, you know, the rest of Civil War might have gotten a little muddy. That, that was a really cool moment that when I read that I was like, oh my gosh, like that's that's huge. Like that's something I never thought I would see. Um and you know it retconned whatever but uh, <laughs> that 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 comes yeah. later but in the moment I think that's that's a really fun issue to to read and revisit. So my final pick for the poll list is going to be Spider-Man Back in Black which is a five-part series that came out in 2007 from J Michael Straczynski and illustrated by Ron Garney. This storyline has a few tie-ins too that are amazing art artists done by Clayton Crane and Angel Medina, and they're amazingly talented as well. But this specific five-part event uh, ranges from Amazing Spider-Man 539 to 543, and it's about the Kingpin has put a hit out on Spider-Man, has put it, actually put a hit out on Peter Parker because he knows his secret identity, and Aunt May is shot instead. Oh, wow. And so it 
literally throws Peter into a rage and he doesn't even take the time to put on a suit. He picks up Aunt May and swings her to the hospital. He does not care about keeping his identity. He just gets her to the hospital and you immediately see that what's going to happen in the storyline because Peter sees where the bullet came from. And when he goes outside, he picks up a car and throws it through the building where the sniper is. And at this point, you're realizing, oh, this is going to be a little bit darker of a storyline. This is for like Peter Spider-Man secret agent, like licensed to kill. <laughs> this storyline is amazing just because it shows you how dark Peter can be pushed to. He the whole reason it's called Back in Black is because after he gives up the Venom suit, he for a t- period of time, he is a little bit more cynical and vicious and he wears just a plain black Spider-Man suit. That is not the symbiote and he's hidden that suit, but he realizes what he's going to have to do. And so he goes and finds that black suit again, puts it back on and he's out on the streets trying to figure out who, who was shooting at them and then trying to figure out, okay, this person didn't just choose to do it. So who put the hit out? And it's incredibly dark and brutal and it culminates with a fight scene between Kingpin and Peter Parker, because initially he shows up and he's in the Spider-Man suit and he's out to kill Kingpin. And so he takes off his Spider-Man costume and he's saying, Spider-Man's not here. It's me. It's Peter Parker and I'm going to kill you. And so that storyline, it's amazing. And you get to really see how far he can be pushed and how he acknowledges the fact that spider-man is not in control at this time spider-man is stepping aside and peter is going for blood because his aunt who he loves more than probably anything else in the world has is on death's door that's crazy it it is i haven't read that very that's that it is a very fun read yeah it's it's so well done very well written there's there's conversation during the kingpin spider-man fight that is really deep and dark and you think wow spider-man is way more lethal it has the potential to be more lethal than we realized what do you think about uh the black suit storyline like i mean it, it spans a lot in the kind of mid 80s you know he gets the black suit and then we learn it's a symbiote and then becomes venom and I mean, that, that's, that's a long span, but like, um, as far as a storyline, what do you think of that one? Cause I know you're a well, Venom I, fan. <laughs> yes. I am a very big Venom fan and I, I am, I'm a fan of the black suit in general. So whether it's the actual symbiote or just the black suit, I, I love it because it gives him more of a stealth aspect and he, he fights crime differently while he's in that suit. It gave a really nice flavor to the character for an extended period of time. And then you kind of have that redemption arc and he goes back to being in the red and blue suit. And it's, it was just a fun time in the series. Those are some really cool recommendations. Thank you, Lance. And definitely check out some of those best reads that we have picked out for you. And um, you can find a lot of this. I think we've been reading a lot of stuff on comiXology but if you're able to find a collected edition, I definitely recommend trying to find a hardcover book or a paperback book or trade paperback of Spider-Man. It's, it's definitely worth having in your collection for sure. 
Yeah, they look great on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> so those are some awesome recommendations. Um, out of everything that you have, Lance, are there any um are there any grail finds that you have that are related to Spider-Man? Like any personal issues or or items that or memorabilia that are Spider-Man themed that um mean a lot to you? I actually do have a very big grail in my collection related to Spider-Man. When I was home here in San Diego, I went to a local comic book shop and I saw a very nice copy of Amazing Spider-Man 300 sitting under the glass. And if you don't know, Amazing Spider-Man 300 is the first full appearance of Venom. And it has amazing cover art by Todd McFarlane that iconic 300 plastered over and over with a really cool uh, Spider-Man swinging pose. And I couldn't pass up on it. I had finally had really my first decent paying job. So I had the money and I didn't want to let it go. And there had been rumors that a Venom movie was going to come out. And that didn't happen for years and years later after that. But I snagged it up, picked it up. And then out of sheer dumb luck, that roommate that I had mentioned before that had introduced uh, comics to me really of how good they could be. He was actually going to have a booth at Salt Lake Comic Con. I think it was in 2015, but I could be wrong. It's around that time. And luckily enough, Stan Lee was going to be at that convention. And so I immediately bought my ticket to have his signature and got to meet him. And it was amazing. I have an amazing, I have my, one of my favorite comic book covers that contains one of my favorite comic book characters of Spider-Man and Venom with Venom's first appearance now signed by Stan Lee, who I absolutely adore, obviously as a comic book fan and luckily got to do that before Stan passed away. And it was, I think it was only two years later that that Stan passed. How about you? That's awesome. Uh, I don't have a Stan Lee signature. Um, I got a Todd McFarlane signature of Spider-Man number one in the early nineties. This is when the big re-release of of Spider-Man came out. Like I think it was before the X-Men number one came out and I went to wizard con in Philadelphia it was my first big comic book convention in, I want to say it was like 93 or 94 or something. And I had that issue. It was like the silver Chrome edition that I'm sure yep. many people have. And, there's you know, I waited in silver, a long, there's the gold one. Yeah. I waited in a long line to have it signed uh, by McFarland and a lot. And I think at that point, like spawn had come out, but I, I was like, well, I still want to have my Spider-Man signed. So so that's what um, that's what I had signed, and um, I still have it in my collection. It's nice and shiny, and it has that cool McFarlane signature on it. Yeah, his signature is pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a lot to work with. I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Spider-Man over the years has had a ton 
of adaptations from so many, so many, uh, from movies, cartoons, toys, video games, novels, coloring books, theme park rides, and even a musical. It's time to talk about adaptations. You can't forget the ice cream cone. Oh my gosh. So, so the, the adaptations of Spider-Man range in so many different things. We're not going to be able to talk about everything, but we're just going to go, go through a little bit of a run through. And then we're going to talk about our favorite of the films and cartoons. There have been seven feature films with him as the main character. And that's not even including his appearances in the Avengers movies and Civil War. As far as animated series, there have been a ton starting in 1967 all the way through Marvel's Spider-Man, which is still coming out this year. In fact, they've rebranded it to Spider-Man Maximum Venom, which I'm sure that you'll enjoy that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I want to watch it's, it. It's a lot of fun. So uh, there's been a lot. In terms of the movies, Lance, do you have a favorite there's a whole debate we could have about who's your favorite. You're not going to offend anybody. I mean, like the movie's feelings aren't going to get hurt. You can just tell me. It's just me. It's just you. Yeah, you're the only one yeah, listening. Yeah. So probably my favorite Spider-Man film that there's been. It's really hard to beat Spider-Man 2 from Sam Raimi. Yes. It's It has, you have such a great villain with Doc Ock really good character development. You get to see that mentorship between him and Peter and how it just divulged, like it just deteriorates. You get that iconic fight scene on the train, which is so, or on the subway, which is so unbelievably good. You get to see that iconic moment of him stopping the subway from falling off of the tracks and saving all those people and them seeing him unmasked and being like, this is just a kid. Like I thought he was this grandiose being that was clearly an adult, but he's really young. There's just so many fantastic moments in that film. It's hard to top, even though I really did enjoy homecoming. I think Tom Holland is phenomenal, but I think, I think Spider-Man two still holds the title. Yeah. I, 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 Kind of agree with you, but I'm going to give it to Homecoming, actually. And I'll tell you why, because I totally understand for for years and years. Like I saw Spider-Man 2 twice in the theaters. Um, It was it was amazing. It it left such a lasting impression on me. It made me fall in love with Spider-Man all over again. Going back and watching it now, I think it still holds up. But there's a couple of weird little moments in it that are are like when when Spider-Man's having like cookies and milk with <laughs> with his Russian neighbor or something. It's just kind of oh, like, yeah, yeah. where's mm-hmm. that coming from? <laughs> and so that's kind of a strange moment. And then there's just a few little weird moments that I think are sort of hints of Spider-Man three to come, which are, I don't know. It's just, I mean, there, but there's amazing things that are in that movie from, you know, battling Doc Ock, uh, you know, and, and the, Raimi-esque, you know, head turns. And there's some really funny, you know, bits that that are in there. So, yeah, I love Spider-Man too. But uh, I really think Marvel and Sony nailed it with Tom Holland. And even just... Absolutely. Even just his brief appearance in Civil War, if I could give that the award, I think that mm-hmm. would get it. Same. 100% <laughs> I think, I think, agree. I, think, I, I would do the same thing. Yeah, I think, like, that is his just that maybe because it's not 
as much um, just because I just love his interaction as, you know, quips with, with Captain America, mm-hmm. with, with Iron Man, you know, all the stuff with like, Hey, have you seen that movie? Remember that movie with the, yes. <laughs> with the star Wars, <laughs> you know, like just everything in that movie with Spider-Man. It just, I was just mm-hmm. ear to ear smiles. Um, and then homecoming, and I think was just a sequel to that sequence um, mm-hmm. with it, with, but just everybody felt like a teenager, you know, the yes. vulture was in that movie and Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton is so good was, was amazing in that movie. And it's the vulture. It's not even like his most iconic villain, but he does mm-hmm. such a good job in establishing, uh, the lore of, you know, having these villains with costumes and, and going up against a teenager and how they would feel about that. Like, and, and what, what better encapsulate that feeling than like, having the father of the girl that you're into driving you to the homecoming dance and realize, which completely caught me off guard. That moment was so good. Just with the two mm-hmm. of them realizing who they were and not saying in the it car, in the car on the way to the dance. It was just, Oh, it was so good. And, and like that, you said, the you, tension. you even mentioned that earlier about having, uh, when, when they fought and, um, him getting, you know, caught under the rubble and pushing himself up and like having these little moments uh, where they're not to the comics. So I got to give it to homecoming because I think there's just so many things that are really great um, with, mm-hmm. with that movie. As far as animated series, there have been several iterations. Did you have a favorite? We don't have to get too much into it, but did you have a favorite animated series adaptation of, of Spider-Man? I have to go with the classic nineties Spider-Man, the animated series. Yeah. It, the, the designs of the characters were so great. The way they did Venom's voice. Oh, yeah. The funny the funny thing is, is with that series, they weren't allowed to really throw punches. And so all of those fights and the way he defeats villains had to be really creative. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, they, they were very careful about what kind of violence they showed on there. Um, I have sort of two that I'm a fan of um, the early 2000s Spider-Man uh, had a really interesting character design and I really let the design on that. That's more of just like from an art standpoint, I think that was the best designed comic or best designed cartoon. But in terms of cartoon, I got to go with the most recent one, the Mo- the Marvel's Spider-Man. It was sort of a sequel to the ultimate Spider-Man that was on uh, Disney XD. But then my son has started gotten into co- uh, Spider-Man cartoons. So we've been watching them kind of finding something that's appropriate for his age. And we started getting into this Marvel Spider-Man cartoon on Disney XD and it's really well done. And they do it in a way, I think they update a lot of the Spider-Man lore, but they're putting a modern spin on it. So he's going to horizon high and miles is miles Morales goes there with him. And Gwen Stacy goes there with him and they're all kind of working on stuff. And they, the, the Venom symbiote, you know, is coming into the storyline, but it starts off as this school project and they're studying it and stuff like that. So it's, it's a really interesting um, storyline, how they're blending classic storylines, but they're bringing in modern characters like Spider-Gwen and, and, and Miles Morales into the mythology. And, and you can only really do that with an animated series. It would take too long with the movies and it wouldn't make sense to restart everything and retcon everything with comics. So that's what's kind of cool about animation is that they can really play around with some of the storylines. And it's it's a it's been a lot of fun for me to watch. So I recommend that one, the Marvel Spider-Man. I got to give a shout out to the most recent 
video game, the Marvel Spider-Man game, which is I've been playing on PlayStation 4 and it is just amazing. It's by far probably the best Spider-Man game that's ever been created. And Insomniac did a fantastic job. You feel like you're really Spider-Man. You can play with like any costume. You can kind of go anywhere in New York. Just the the digital map of New York is fantastic. (laughs) And you just feel like you're flying around. And it's not necessarily new. They've done that before. There's been the sort of open world design, sort of the Grand Theft Auto 3, you know, sort of go anywhere sort of design with Spider-Man. But this really feels like it's New York. And it makes it it makes New York feel like a character. Plus, there's so many fun characters and there's great voice acting. So I think that that video game is is uh, really fun. I know a lot of people have super enjoyed it. And if you're going to give a shout out to a video game, I have to give a shout out to my favorite Spider-Man video game because it is just fills me with nostalgia is the N64 Spider-Man title. Okay, it is like obviously it's N64 graphics, but. I loved playing this game. You got to unlock all the different suits and the suits had different powers. You're able to fight villains differently. And it culminated in this fight with Carnage. And the sequence that they made for it is absolutely terrifying where you are really running for your life from Carnage <laughs> in the finals. It's it's amazing. It's so well done. I, I love that game. And obviously... Your pick for video game, the visuals are much better than the N64 one, but I remember replaying that game over and over and I couldn't get enough of it. Nice. That's fantastic. So I think we've talked about Spider-Man exhaustively and we could keep going, but um, we have to call uh, time on this on this issue, don't you think? I think, but I believe there's some space to come back to spider-man oh yeah especially all the different versions so be on the lookout for an uh an episode or an issue later down the line where we'll be covering other characters that have donned the spider-man costume so we've both talked about our alternate universe versions of peter parker if you have an alternate universe version of peter parker that you have had in your head that you want to share with everybody that you want to share with us we would love to hear about it let us know on our twitter at cbk cast that's at cbk cast and tweet us uh, with the hashtag my peter parker and let us know what your alternate version of Peter Parker would be. Maybe it's something that involves an animal like Spider-Ham, or maybe it's a, a different nationality, or maybe it's a different power. You know, so there's a lot of different versions of Spider-Man out there. And we want to know what your alternate version of Peter Parker would be. So in addition to our Twitter at CBKCast, we also have an Instagram at CBKCast where we'll be posting images from the show and about the characters that we're talking about each week. You can also find us on the Geekly Grind. Stop by the Geekly Grind for all things geeky from anime and manga to board games, video games, comics, and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind, and you can go to thegeeklygrind.com. And don't forget to check out the composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our good friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop RPGs, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. You can check out his amazing work at Arcane Anthems on Twitter, TikTok, as well as downloading all of his available music for free from his Patreon, at Arcane Anthems. It's time to close the book on Peter Parker and Spider-Man. So until next time, this is Chris. And Lance. 
reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. Music